Thanks, Anna. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Are you glad you're here? Man, I'm glad you're here. I got something really important I want to talk about today. I want to talk about taxes. <clears throat> Some of you are like, I'm already sketchy on preachers, but why do you got to bring the IRS into it too? Uh, and I, I feel you, I feel you. The other day I was, um, I, was, I was gearing up to do my taxes. I don't know if you're like me, but it takes a while. I got to gear up. I, I got to like get in the mode. I got to think about, I, I geared up, right? And, and I, I had all this stuff and I sat down at my desk and I realized the room around me wasn't clean enough. And so I got up and I started to shit like moving stuff around and I started vacuuming and sat back down at the desk and I realized the dog needed to be walked and so I walked him and, um, and, then, and then I, I realized when I was stepping back in the house, like I don't want to do my taxes, like didn't I always want to buy like a DIY uh, at home dental filling repair kit on Amazon and um, like that would just seem better than doing my taxes. Uh, and um, finally got through all of that and sat down and started to do my, my taxes and, and I, um, it's the part of adulting that I hate the most, right? I mean, you just, you just is miserable. And I, I started with the, the first question, what's your name? <laughs> That's easy. What's your date of birth? That's easy. What's your social security? I think this is it. And then um, the, the next question was, was a haunting question for me. It was this. Um, can anyone, do you know this question? Can anyone claim you as a, what's that word? As a dependent. And I, something stopped me in my tracks in that moment. Because doing my taxes ceased to be a financial transaction and it became spiritual. <laughs> I had this moment of existential crisis. I was looking at this form and I, I realized, gosh, for like decades of my life, you know, two decades of my life at least, my parents used to claim me as a dependent. And I started to get all sentimental like, I used to be young. I used to not have to do this. I used to be blissfully ignorant. Will I ever get to check that box again? Uh, I had this moment of, of crisis. And then, you know, I'm a pastor, so, you know, naturally I gravitated towards one word. One word arrested me. It was this word. Can anyone claim you as a dependent? And I started going back to you like the past year of my life. Like, was I in a bad car accident that I owe my life to? Did somebody save me from heroin death? Did, like, is there someone out there who's got a claim on my life? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is this? And it became really, I knew financially the answer was no, but like spiritually, I was like, I don't, I, this, is, this is too deep. And so I stopped. I just put it away. And you know, the core of, of that question, when I took it to a deeper level, it was a little bit haunting for me. And, and actually, I think, as I think about the access that Jesus gives to us in our lives to himself, this, this question, can anyone claim you as a dependent, is really at the core of a, um, a kerfuffle in Jesus' life. Is that a word, kerfuffle? Uh, this, this like misunderstanding in Jesus' life found in Mark chapter 10. If you're not a church person, you've got this picture in your mind of maybe who you think Jesus is. In Mark chapter 10, what I want to talk about today is, is actually this moment that maybe you already envisioned Jesus this way, in, in this manner. And so here, here's what I mean. Here's what Mark chapter 10 uh, verse 13 says. It says, uh, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Now that is like Totally awesome, humble, meek, lowly, mild Jesus, right? I mean, this is Jesus where if you had the painting or thought about Jesus, you, he's got the sheep around his, his shoulders. He's the one who's kissing babies, shaking hands, all that stuff. The nicest guy in the world. You know what I mean? Um, 
maybe to help you with this, I took a random poll this week of who, who our staff thought were the nicest people in the world. And um, I got three top candidates, kind of like in the spirit of Olympics, like gold, silver, and bronze medal candidates for you guys. And so maybe you're like, you're like, like our staff and you think about Jesus being the nicest person in the world and you think of this person. See, I just proved my point. Oh, right? Like, look at those eyes. Like, Betty White, is, she's just, she's the nicest person in the world. Uh, second runner-up was, was this guy uh, because he's super fun to have at a party and has got all the jokes as long as you like lame party games. Um, and then third runner-up, you want to know who the third runner-up was? Uh, it was this guy. Hey, how about that? Third place. Uh, if you're not in on the joke, this is the original uh, TB Tom Brady's got nothing on this guy. Uh, this is Tom Bronner, one of our pastors on staff, the legendary Tom Bronner. And um, I don't see Tom in the room, but uh, maybe we just speak to him in the future. Tom, bronze medal, buddy. You almost did it. If you work a little harder at being a little nicer, you can dethrone Betty White. We're all rooting for you. Right, guys? Yeah. All right. Keep going, buddy. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's my point is that all of us have this picture in our mind of Jesus being this like really nice, welcoming, smiley person. That he's the type of person you could approach. He's the type of person that would like welcome you, you could have a conversation with, you could like, like you could hang out with. We think about Jesus being the type of person that welcomed parents and kids to himself. And that makes a lot of sense to us because in our day and age, kids are, are kind of a valued and precious thing. Um, maybe in a way that's different than prior generations even. Kids today, you know, a lot of parents work to serve their kids in a way where maybe long time ago, kids worked to serve their parents, right? So today, we think about kids and we think about highly esteemed and really valuable and like, wow, like, of course, we want to bring our kids to Jesus. And I, I just bring that up because I want to tell you that what happens next in the story is one of the most highly offensive things that could have happened to our modern sensibilities. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could you know, lay his hands on them, bless them, um, but, but check this out. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Imagine you walk into Heartland, you're smart enough to park over there because it's close to the kids' entrance, and you bring your, your toddlers in, and um, Tom Bronner is standing at the door, and he says, whoa, 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 you're old enough to come in, but this one will have to wait a while. I don't know what you think we're doing around here, but you've got to be so high to ride this ride, you know. This is an incredibly offensive, I mean, if that was you, you, you wouldn't just go look for another church. You might give up on church altogether, wouldn't you? You'd be like, those Christians, I can't believe how offensive they are, how, keeping me away. And, and so we, we look at the disciples and we got to ask this question, like, why, why did they erect walls around Jesus? Why did they put barriers in the ways of people coming to Jesus? Maybe they thought that the people who should have access to Jesus were the ones who could help his campaign for what he was trying to do in the world. People who could add value to him. And in their mind, uh, children were nothing but a bother. They didn't give. They didn't have. They didn't give anything. They just were in the way. And so they said, no, no, no. Don't, don't bother Jesus with, with your kid. Uh, at, at the least we have to acknowledge is that there's something going on here where, where, where children don't give anything. And I love Jesus. He doesn't let his disciples get away with it. He rebukes their rebuke. Here's how the rest of the story goes. Uh, Jesus uh, saw what was happening. He was angry with the disciples. He said to them, let the little children, let the children come to me. 
Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. It's a beautiful moment. It's like a precious moment with this really awkward tension in the middle of it. And it's the tension that I want to lean into for the rest of our time this morning. This whole scene is a power struggle. This whole scene is about status and power and significance. The question is one of who is able to have access to Jesus. The disciples insinuate that those who could help Jesus could be helped by Jesus. But Jesus didn't let them get away with it. He says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs. There's ownership. There's power for those who are like these children. Jesus flips everything for his disciples. The kingdom isn't theirs to guard or to manage or, or, or for them to curate who gets in or out. It already belongs to those who are like these children. Let them come. They have all the access in the world they need of me, Jesus said. And this is an incredible invitation because if God, through Jesus, gives this invitation to children, then the invitation to you and I is simply this, that you and I can come to God like a child. Jesus is actually opening his arms and telling not just the kids and the parents, but also the disciples and everyone else hearing that the way that you come to God is is indicative of the way that these kids are coming right now, like children, like children, come to God like a child. I love that Jesus didn't say, you know, come to God like Queen Elizabeth. You ever thought about how much Queen Elizabeth's got going for her these days? She's 95 years old, still a monarch, still like one of the wealthiest people in the world. Everybody has to do what she says. Like if there's ever someone who like... um, Jesus should have singled out as like a really, you know, kind, benevolent person, but like really worthy of following Jesus and having access to Jesus. Don't you think he would have been like, Queen Elizabeth, her, be like her. But he doesn't. He says, actually, the kingdom belongs to those who are like these children. Which I find to be really good news. Because I... I don't know what it's like to be a 95-year-old monarch who's got all the power and money in the world. But I used to be a kid. I used to check that box, can anyone claim you as a dependent? I, I remember back to the blissful days before I even knew what taxes were. I remember growing up in a house just kind of receiving food and having fun and being around a loving atmosphere. I remember what it was like to be cared for and to be nurtured. I remember, and so do you, because here's the reality. Jesus chooses the lowest common denominator for people to access him. He chooses children. He chooses children. I think um, the disciples are surprised by this. Uh, What does this mean that The kingdom belongs to those who are like these children. I think it means for for our purposes right here in this moment, just three things. And Wednesday at midweek, uh, which is just here in the building, I'd love to see you there. We're going to go into a little bit more depth about what this means for us to to be children. But but here's three really basic 
maybe no duh things that you just need to think about for a second. Um, what does it mean to be a child? Well, ch first, children lack power. Children lack power. Have you ever wrestled a toddler? You ever wrestled an infant? Here's a bigger question. Have you ever lost? No. Wrestle an eight-year-old? It's a little harder. Wrestle an 18-year-old? Good luck. 28, maybe you got to fight in chance again. Um, children, children lack power. In our society, here's the power that children lack. They don't have a, a capacity of voting. They can't influence elections. They don't have uh, any way to get their agenda passed in Congress. They, they are vulnerable. They need their rights protected by adults. You know, there's 22% of our population are children. And despite that number, they haven't figured out how to unionize yet. A child, I think, feels their lack of power the most when they're arguing with their parent and their parent responds by saying these famous last words, because I said so. You know what that is in that moment? That is a definitive end to the power struggle that that kid is having with their parent. I said so. And that kid grows up to want to say so in the future, right? Kids lack power. That's the first thing. The second thing is that children don't only lack power, but children also lack position. Position. Status in the world. Um, position. Some, you know, children don't hold political office. They're not influential. By and large, there are no child CEOs of major companies. Maybe they act like children, but they're not children. There's no mayors of towns where a child is the mayor, no children who hold memberships at local country clubs. They have no status. In fact, when a child becomes a star, when a child becomes an icon, we both celebrate their success and we mourn their lack of childhood, don't we? It's a twisted thing that our society does. And we realize that children lack position. They have no authority. I think a child, my kids maybe feel this the most in my family when they're having a struggle with me and I... I respond to them, they go, why? And I say, because I'm dad. And they realize, oh, and I'm not. Kids lack power, kids lack a position, but maybe the most you know, obvious is that kids lack property. I don't know if you were deeded uh, at the moment of your birth, um, real estate or a trust fund. I mean, things that would imply status or wealth in this life. Um, fellow Heartlander Warren Buffett <clears throat> last year told, said that um, what he decided to do with all of his massive wealth, you guys didn't get that joke, did you? That's fine, that's fine, whatever. Uh, he, he decided last year, he made the statement that all of his wealth was going to not go to his family. That he was going to deed his kids with uh, big entre you know, entrepreneurial uh, efforts for them to do a philanthropy, but then the rest of his money was just going to go towards the world. He said, the world needs my money more than my family does. Um, in the infamous words of Shaquille O'Neal, who also last year uh, looked at a camera and, and told this story, he said, my kids once told me that we're rich. These are the infamous words of Shaq. He said, I told him, we ain't rich, I'm rich. And his point is that, you know, you may come from a family with money, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have money. A child brings nothing to the game. My kids, I think, this is when I'm struggling with my kids and I have to, like, really influence my authority over them. This is when I think that, that, that bothers them the most. They're, they want to change the channel on the TV, and it's, it's I, I look at them and say, did you pay for the TV? And they go, well, no, how much is it? I'm like, it's more than all of you have combined. 
don't break it, right? Right, like a kid, the kid, a kid tangibly, a, a toddler tangibly feels in so many ways in our world this lack of independence. If I had to put a, a, a bottom line word on what does it mean to be a child today, it's the word that our tax code uses. It just simply means they are dependent, they're helpless. They're helpless. A child can't help but feel like they add nothing. And listen, I don't think actually little kids, toddlers, or babies seem to mind their dependency. A child looks at a parent. It happened just a, a couple minutes ago. A child looked at a parent over here and, and said, up, and just was happy to be with their dad and, and, and picked, her, picked her up. And, and I think that's Jesus' point. He, he, he says, it's the ones who know that they need to be carried, the ones who know that someone has claimed them as dependent who owns the kingdom. That's how you find your way to God. It's not by having, but by having not. I don't know if you're starting to feel the tension inside of you. Because as I think about my life, the entire inertia of my life is moving from dependence to independence. Everything in my life, every fiber in my being, every day that I'm alive moves from not wanting to be insufficient to wanting to prove that I am self-sufficient. Just on a practical level, the height of our society is being able to do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want to, and not have anyone tell you no. We despise, I despise dependence. I want to depend on my independence for my own happiness, satisfaction, meaning, and purpose. And here, I can show you how we all do this in one simple thing. You know, the turn of the year just happened where, where January comes along and, and around here I've heard, talked to a couple of people and around Kansas City I've talked to a couple of people who are like, you know, I, I do this thing every year where I choose a word that I'm going to focus on for that year. And there's always like really great words like courage, bravery, strength. And I've never heard someone come up to me and be like, my word of the year is childlike. My word of the year is Lack. My word of the year is helpless. My, this is a year where I focus on have not. This is the year where I focus on my dependence. This is a year where I choose to become like a child to recognize my limitations, my inabilities, and my need. I think that's why this simple phrase of Jesus that those who want to enter into the kingdom of God must come like a child is so challenging for you and for me who are so prone to feel proud of our independence. Because the real question that Jesus is asking is not a question towards the kids or to the parents. It's a question that he asks towards the disciples. In essence, what Jesus is totally saying here is just simply this question. He's, he's looking back at them, reflecting the question of them to say, how do you view you? If Jesus is looking at the disciples here and asking them a question, I mean, here's what he's really asking. He says, are you in control? Do you now have the power to tell people who can and cannot come to me? Do you think that you're in control of this kingdom because now you have some sort of authority? 
He asks a different, he asks a different way, a, a, a positional question. Because you're hanging out with me now, does that give you the right to impose your way upon other people? Now that we're gaining a crowd, do you feel like you're emboldened to tell people your point of view about me? Do you see yourselves as wise, as self-discerning, as self-governing? In the end, Jesus asks his disciples, do you think that I'm better off because you're with me? How do you view you? In the depths of your heart, is there this thing that feels like you've made it? Is there this thing that feels like I've done it? And here's what I want to say. This is why adulting in my life has had tremendous amount of spiritual hazard. I, don't get me wrong. We all have to pay our taxes. You have to pay your taxes. We all have to take care of our family. You have to take care of your family. But here's what I find in my life. Is that every day that I go on doing the things that I'm supposed to do, doing the right things, doing the grown-up things, doing the mature things, doing the responsible thing, every time that I put food on the table, every time I help my kids, every time I sign them up for the thing that they want to do, I feel in my heart this growing sense of absolute, utter pride that says, I'm doing it. Look at me go. I'm actually doing it. I'm in control. I win. Which brings me naturally, to bicycles. You didn't think that's where I was going? Um, should I ride it? Okay, someone said no. I think she's the one that was going to take me to the hospital. So, all right, here, here's a... In my family, um, now this is not my bike, in case you think that I'm like a biker person. Um, I don't, whatever that is. But it's a great illustration because uh, my kids and I, we, we've um, for years taken our bikes on a, a bike path. And, and I love watching my kids learn how to ride a bike. It's one of the greatest feelings for, of independence to be a little kid. Maybe you remember this moment where your, your mom or your dad's holding the back seat, helping you kind of stay steady, and the wobbles go away, and you're totally afraid. And, and all of a sudden, like, you start pedaling, and the more you pedal, the more stable you get, and the more stable you get, the further you go, and the faster you go, and the more freeing it feels. And then you want to throw your hands in the air like that guy from Garden State, and it's really great. And so um, you just love this. You love bike riding, right? And there's this moment where um, you want to go on a ride with your, with your family. I remember when my kids were growing up, you know, they're still growing up, but, but when they were like just new into the training wheel game and they thought they could do it. They thought they could hang on the family bike ride. And, and we as parents knew they can't hang. Like you can go a couple feet and then you're going to be stopped and then I'm going to go a couple feet and then I'm going to stop. And so we invested into one of these like, one of these things, right? Like one of the, one of the, the, the trailers that allows kids to have a good time and parents to have a good time and all of a sudden it's on the back of dad's bike schlepping some toddler through the bike path. And what I found out is that my kids got older, they would, they would pedal so hard and they would do this thing, right? Every kid did this. They'd look at their dad and they go, hey, race ya. And, and as a dad, you'd be like, okay, great. And you'd fake like you're trying really hard, but you always let the kids win, right? Because you're a good dad. Uh, one day I was... Um, on the way back from a bike ride, my youngest, he was about three years old. He was in the trailer. And my other son, he's about four and a half, five years old at this moment, he, um, he looks at me. And he goes, Dad, give me a 20-second head start, and I'll race you back to the car. And I said, great, buddy, go. And from the back seat in the little trailer, I hear this little voice, don't give him a head start, Dad, Go. I'm counting, I'm looking at my watch. I'm not really going to give him a full 20, but I'm going to get him. I go, Graham, quiet, we can't, we can't just, you know, go. He's like, go, Dad, I want to win, I want to win. 
And I was like, oh, man, now I got both my sons looking for opposite outcomes. There's no, this is a lose-lose for me. And so I decided, um, like good parents do, to side with the youngest. And so I, <clears throat> I'm the youngest, so I can say that. Uh, I, I decided to do that dad thing, right? Like you start shifting through all the gears and slowly churning up the momentum. And, and I mean, I got this bike cranking so fast and my son was so far out there. But, but, but one moment, I just decided to stop pedaling. And my momentum carried me all the way past. I think my littlest son was like, see you, sucker, as we passed his older brother. And we got back to the car with so much time that I could put the bike down, get my son out of it. And my, my heartbroken middle child came, came up to the, to the car, so downtrodden. And his little brother jumped out of the trailer at him. And he goes like this. He goes, ha, I beat you. You feel it, right, parents? Because in that moment, I was like, you didn't do anything. You just sat there. Well, I pedaled, and I shifted, and I counted, and then I coasted. This is my victory. I didn't say any of that. I, I remember um, looking at my son and going, yeah, buddy. We won. And then I gave my other son $100 for therapy for a couple years from his life because I don't, that was a, give him a big hug. I was like, sorry, man. And, um, why, why do I bring this up? Because um, I think when, when we think about dependence upon God, this is a little bit what it looks like. I love that Jesus doesn't, in his, uh, in his, responding to us, knowing that we bring nothing to the table, I'm so... I'm so glad that um, the victory of my son is repre you know, representative of the victory that Jesus gives us in the sense that his victory, my son's victory, wasn't anything than just being attached to his dad who was pulling him across the line. The childlikeness of my son just being close to his father, being connected to his father is what pushed him across the finish line. And... I, I remember not being inspired by my littlest son at that moment. I remember not needing his help. I remember the fact that, like, I could pump my legs just fine. And yet I wanted to share with him what we did. I love that God's attitude towards us isn't one of, you know, who do you guys think you are? I've done all the work. I've, I've made it all possible. I've been carrying you on my back. No, no. Jesus invites us. He says, if you come to me like a child, you own the kingdom. I give you all that I have. I give you all the access. I hold nothing back from you. If, if you'll just jump in with me. Jesus says, it's those who know that their father is strong enough to pull them through whatever life throws at them, who can be dependent upon him completely for their life. And listen, here's why this invitation for me to come to God like a child is so it makes so much sense to me. Here's why. It's because the person who said these words, Jesus, who said these words, himself came to earth as a child. This is what we celebrate every Christmas, that, that God was born into this world. He, he can sympathize with every one of our growing pains and, and has the common experience that we have of infancy and total dependence. He was cared for by his mother. But, but more than that, the, the name that Jesus uses in, in all of the Bible to, to self-identify is one of two names. He calls himself always a son. 
He says the son of God or the son of man. His sonship is core to his identity. He has a father who he wants to please and be near because together they rule. Jesus uh, is in himself the epitome of absolute childlikeness par excellence. You say, well, what do you mean, Dan? That doesn't seem right. I mean, he's God. Right. But do you remember the moment in the Bible where I think it was Paul said that though Jesus was God, all-powerful, that he emptied himself and became nothing? Jesus came to earth and he chose to become like a child, powerless. Remember that moment where they said that though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped? Like status wasn't important to him. And so he gave up all of his position to come and obey his father. And, and that though he owned everything, he made himself nothing. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He gave up all of his possessions. In so many ways, Jesus is the perfect child. And as such, I know that if I come to God my Father like a child, the same way I come to Jesus did and the same way that, that we come to Jesus, I know that, that what Jesus says is true. That paradoxically, in my giving up all of my rights and my independence to get completely dependent upon God, I know that what he says will be true, that I will have life with God forever, that I'll, I'll belong in his kingdom. See, the invitation is, is, is this. It's not just to come to God as a child, but the actual invitation of Jesus is to become a child of God. The way we become a child of God, the way we experience all the access that God has for us in this life is to actually come to him rejecting our own sufficiency. To say to God, I want you to claim me as your dependent. To just look up to God and to say, God, I've tried with all my power, I've tried with all my might, I've tried with all my profession, I've tried with all of my status, I've tried with all of my resources and money and my property. I, but all the good things that I have don't amount to what I need from you. And all the bad things that I've done don't prohibit me from coming to you because I'm coming to you just like this. Like a child that says, God, would you just lift me up? Will you lift me up? Will you carry me? I'm so glad that Jesus invites us into this type of life. As hard as this possibly is for us to give up all of ourselves, it's the best possible life for us. We find that all the access in the world comes to us when we come to God like a child. So listen, uh, I don't know who's here. I believe that whenever we tell the story about Jesus and remind people of how, how big God is and who Jesus is and that he loves us, I, I believe that God works in our hearts, that the spirit does come down and moves inside of us, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching this back on YouTube months from now. I believe profoundly in the miracle of God showing us our own dependence upon him so that we can learn and like lean deeper into God. And so maybe you've never done that before. And what I'm saying today actually makes sense to you for the first time. And you're like, I, I wanna come to God as a child. I don't know how to do that. Here, let me just, let me give you some words to say, a prayer to pray. And I'd love for all of us just as a sign of solidarity in this moment as we just think about our own lives to just bow your heads and 
Close your eyes. I'd love to pray for us. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you, you know, raise your hands. Nothing like that. I just want you to facilitate a conversation with God where, where you can acknowledge that life's independence from God is our utter failure. But it's only when we depend wholly on him that we can have all the life that he promises. And, and so if that's you, you want to give your life to God and say, God, I, I just want you to, to be ruler of my life. I want you to pray this after me in your heart. It could be words like this that just say, God, I know. I know that I'm not as good as I think I am and I know that I'm not as bad as I think I am. I just know that I don't have what it takes to get myself across the line. And I know that you do. And you invite me to come like a child, which I know what that is. I know that means to look to you for everything and to not look inside myself for anything. And so God, today I do that. I look to you and I say, if, if, if this is real, would you show me? Because I believe that I can't do it. God, would you help me? I want to depend on you. Help me see how to depend on you. I accept the fact that, that I've sinned against you. I accept the fact that Jesus has come like a child, but also has risen like a king. And so would you help me to know what it is to follow you? And that's the essence of a conversation that you can have with God that just starts today and it continues to go on as you daily wake up and remind yourself that there's someone who can claim you as a dependent. It's God. You know, brothers and sisters, we, uh, we at Heartland take it very seriously, the celebration moments of life. Every family celebrates the moment when kids join the family. Uh, last night, one of our guitarists uh, had a baby and our whole entire group erupted. We've been praying for him. We're grateful for him. But we also believe in moments like this that people in their hearts and their souls are joined to the family of faith, and that's something to be celebrated. And so just as an act of saying uh, we're so proud of you, we, we just as a church want to erupt in applause for you right here, right now, because that decision to follow Jesus, to give up of yourself and say it's not about me, it's all about you, Jesus, is one of the greatest things you could ever do. We as a church want to celebrate that. We're going to close our services by just pushing a little closer into the heart of God. So I'd love to invite you to stand right here as we respond to who God is and what he's done.